Well, good morning together, church. How's it going this morning? A little wet, maybe a little water-soaked, a little waterlogged. Um, you made it, though. And it's good to be with you this morning, fellowshipping with you. Uh, if this is your first time here, welcome. My name is Sean. I'm, I'm actually one of the pastors at a church down in Hanahan called Restoration Community Church. But for my family and I, this is our second home. And so it's, uh, it's always good to come back and, and get some hugs and be able to catch up with lost friends and family and people uh, that we love to be able to see and spend time with. So thank you for welcoming, welcoming us in this morning. And, and we wish it was under a little bit better terms. And, and some of you may know that Pastor Robbie and Allison and the family are away today at the funeral for her grandmother who just passed a little over a week ago. So I would just ask that, um, that you continue to, to, to lift up your prayers for them as they grieve the loss of her grandmother who meant so much to them in this time that they're going. They will be back with you next week on New Year's Eve as they finish out uh, this Christmas series that you have been teaching through and learning through uh, called Rescue Mission. So, uh, so Rescue Mission, the first week Pastor Robbie came up and he taught you about uh, what does it look like for us that Jesus came to save us from tradition. And these traditions, they vary, but typically our religious traditions, oftentimes what happens is they lead us to distracting us from actually what the reason is that we are celebrating. And so in Christmas is one of those great opportunities where we, sometimes we use the phrase that, uh, that Jesus is the reason for the season. I think that if we took a little bit deeper look at Scripture, what we find is that actually Jesus was sent for us. And so that you and I are a reason for the season that he came to rescue us from things like religious tradition that can have a tendency to blind us from the Messiah. And then the second week you learned about uh, that Jesus came to save and rescue us from brokenness. And that since the beginning of time when Adam and Eve fell to temptation and sin came into the world, that we have seen brokenness between God and man and between God and his creation or us and his creation and between us and one another. And that there's no amount of self-help books, no amount of, of psychology, a psychologist visits, no amount of pills or whatever else that can really cure the brokenness. There's only one thing, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the only cure to our brokenness. And then last week, Pastor Robbie came over and he talked about that Jesus came to rescue us from condemnation. And this feeling that we get when we sin and we're, and we're grieved, but condemnation causes us to flee from God's presence. Condemnation is from the, is from the devil. Condemnation comes from, from Satan, and we know that really true conviction, conviction meaning when we, we feel or experience our sin, that we know that it grieves God. And instead of running from him, we turn to him and we confess, and we ask for forgiveness, and we repent, and he continues to give us his grace and his love and his mercy. That's what true conviction is like. Well, this week we're going to continue on in this rescue mission series. But before we get into that, I want to ask you a question real quick. Just to take a little straw poll of the audience here. We'll get a, uh, a little bit of a feel for who all is in the room. Now, sometimes this is a very divisive topic, so we'll try to handle it lightly. Okay, so who in your room, by show of hands, has a real Christmas tree in their house right now? Who has a real Christmas tree? Okay, all right. A real Christmas tree, right? Okay, good. That's actually more than what I expected. Now, my, my, the, on the inverse, the opposite side would be that uh, the artificial tree, but we know that some people may not even have a tree at all. So by humbug, I'm not even going to ask you if you don't have a Christmas tree set up. So by a show of hands, who has an artificial tree? Yeah, a lot of people have artificial trees, don't they? Artificial trees. What is it that we love about these artificial trees? They don't burn. They don't, burn. They don't, they don't die. Don't That's right. That's right. They don't shed. There's no mess to clean up. I don't, I don't need to water them. I don't need to water them. The dog also doesn't need to water it, which is great. Right? We avoid that whole mess. 
They come pre-lit a lot of times. We can put them up. And after a couple of years of, of buying real trees, we might as well have just got a fake tree or an artificial tree rather. We can even, some people put, who puts the air freshener that smells like pine tree inside of their Christmas tree? So it actually smells like a Christmas tree. Yeah, some of y'all do that, I know. But in the day, we can look perfect, it can be perfect, it can smell perfect, but in the day, that tree is fake, y'all. That tree is still fake. So bravo to my, my real Christmas tree havers this year. It's good to have you here this morning. But let me ask you this, what else in your life do you have that's fake? What else in your life is fake right now? What about that, uh, that Instagram or that Facebook photo that you posted? Or if you're, you're less than 25, you had the Snapchat and the Snapchat filter, so your pictures come out looking perfect. You can make your skin tone look great. The lighting's always great, but it's still fake. For the older people, you know Photoshop maybe, or there's different filters you could put on in Instagram. But then what about that Christmas photo that we know everybody's getting ready to post in about a week? That Christmas morning photo we expect it. We know it's coming. Everybody's going to be lined up in their matching pajamas or their matching flannel shirts or whatever it is, and it looks perfect. But what we don't see is that the hour before that, when everybody had to go and put on all the clothes, you got to get the dog lined up, the kids are angry, they want to go do something else. Some of y'all may even use words you probably should not have and maybe need to repent of today. You get to one photo after taking 100 of them, and then everybody disperses. We don't see you for the rest of the day. But it looks perfect that one time, doesn't it? But we know that picture was fake. We know it's fake. What about in our, in our office, offices when we go to work and we give that fake greeting in the morning time? Hey, Bill, good to see you this morning. It's good to have you here. Excited about the good work day. Or, hey, Sue, good to see you again. That blouse looks great. And as soon as they walk away, what do we say? It's like, God, that Bill, man. I wish he'd just get his TPS reports in on time. What's his problem? Right? So we're real to his face, and then we turn around as soon as he walks away, and we have something negative to say about him. What about at church on Sunday morning? What about we get here at church on Sunday morning, and, and, and we're greeted, and, and we greet one another, and we say, hey, how's it going? It's good to see you. How are things? And, and the standard response is, it's great, fine, but busy, blessed and highly favored, better than I deserve, hashtag blessed, or whatever. These have become standard responses, almost expected responses. When I ask the question, I just expect you to say that in return. I'm great. I was at church recently and, and a lady came in and, and uh, I went over to greet her and just say, hey, how's your morning going? And she paused and she looked at me and she said, it's not great. I'm not having a good morning. And as a tear began to form in the corner of her eye, she asked if we could go somewhere and talk. There's just some things that she was wrestling through. And in the back of my mind, my immediate thought was, whoa, 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 hold on now. You're breaking the rules. You're breaking the rule. The rule is I ask you how you do and you say fine. I say great and we move on. And then what happens is we put on this false front, this, this fake identity that we almost just expect people to have. But at the same time, we're dying on the inside. We're hurting. Our finances are in disarray. Our spouse, we're, we're having an argument with our spouse. So we're getting calls from our teachers at school about our kids. Our job is a little bit on thin ice right now and it's kind of tumultuous economy. And we're hurting. But we show up and we put on this false front and we're good to go, aren't we? We're good to go. And when we do that, what do we do is we become just like our fake Christmas trees. We look perfect on the outside. We even smell nice. 
but we're far from being real and we're far from being okay. Well, this morning, what we want to talk about is that this Christmas season, when God sent his one and only son, that he came on a rescue mission for us, that he has rescued us from these false identities. That he has rescued us from these false identities. So, so why do you think it is that we can't be real with one another, especially our Christian brothers and sisters? Like we ought to be able to be real with one another. That, that we, we see that the outside world, they look at us, and what is the term they always use when they refer to Christ followers a lot of times? They call us hypocrites. They call us hypocrites. There was a Barna research poll done, and they asked that the millennial generation, the millennials are the most under-church generation right now. They asked the millennial generation, they said, listen, what are the reasons why you don't go to church? And 86% of the respondents said, because the churchgoers are a bunch of hypocrites. Hypocrite. Have you ever been called a hypocrite before? And it don't feel good. Or maybe you even lodged that term at somebody else before. I think sometimes we, we, we say the word, I don't know if we know actually what it means. So when we look into the Greek, the Greek word for hypocrite is this word called hypocrites. Hypocrites, which really means an actor or somebody who hides behind a mask. Somebody who hides behind a false front. And so the, the two root words for this is hupo, which means under, and krino, which means to judge. So a hypocrite is, is really somebody who, who underjudges themselves. And so then by default, they would overjudge other people, overjudge others. Well, today we're going to spend some time where we're going to see where, where Jesus has an opportunity to confront a lot of hypocrites and what does he do. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to chapter 23 in Matthew chapter 23 this morning. And I'll set the stage as you're turning there. Uh, so, so here we are uh, in, in Matthew chapter 22. We, we are in the, the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. They're in Jerusalem. He's there with his disciples. And, and they're spending time as they're preparing for the Passover feast. And they're spending time in the synagogues. And he's teaching. And he's spending time with his disciples. And he's telling them things like, hey, listen, when I depart, I'll send the Holy Spirit. Or, you know, there, there's things that are going to happen that you, don't, you won't understand. And so they don't know, have a clue what's going on. But during this time, obviously, we know that Jesus was challenging the religious ruling class. And so what do they do is they continue to come to him to challenge him back. And really trying to, what they're trying to do is ask him questions and put up these hypothetical situations where they want to try to catch him in, in something teaching, some teaching that's heretical. Or even to get him to blaspheme against God, which is interesting because he is God, right? So how's that going to work? So at first in Matthew 22, we see that uh, the Sadducees come in front of him and they, they throw out this question. They're trying to, trying to get him, get Jesus. And he, he confronts him in a way that really shuts him down. And we don't hear from the Sadducees anymore. They go away. They don't have anything else to say. And then the Pharisees say, I, I guess it's our turn. So they come to him and they ask him a question. Again, another gotcha question. And Jesus, you could just kind of understand, like you, you could kind of just begin to feel how much he's beginning to become fed up a little bit. At one point in Mark early on, it says that Jesus saw the crowds and these people who were questioning him, and, and he, he said he, he felt anger and grief. So even Jesus feels anger and grief. And so here he is, you just can know that he's like, are you kidding me, man? The Pharisees, you continue to challenge me. So what does he do? He confronts them once and for all, and he says, okay, this is what we're going to do, and now I'm going to shut y'all down as well. And we see this in Matthew chapter 23. So we're going to skip around a little bit, but I think the words will be with us on the screen. We'll begin in verse 1. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees, 
who sit on Moses' seat. So Moses' seat is uh, the, the seat in the middle of the synagogue where the, the religious teacher or the ruling elite would sit and actually read Scripture. So they sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. Now skipping down to verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and plate, but the inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, then the outside also may be clean. And he continues on, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and, full, and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous, but to others, uh, to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and you decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived during the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part of them shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you bear witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. So from these passages, what we can see is that Jesus is addressing really three different types of hypocrisy. Three different types of hypocrisy. The first type of hypocrisy that we see is the hypocrisy towards others. This actually is the most common type of hypocrisy that we see and that we experience on a daily basis. This is where we see a contradiction of standards. Or essentially where we, we hold somebody else to a higher standard than what we hold ourselves to. Or, or we cast judgment on somebody else, but we overlook the sin and the depravity that lies in the darkness of our own hearts. So an example would be that, that uh, we, we call out somebody who, who drinks too much. They're, they're a lush or a drunk. We, we call them out for their sin. But yet, we have a hard time pushing away from the table, and so we eat too much. Right? Or, or maybe this, uh, uh, when we call out, we call out people for uh, the, the, what we see as homosexual marriage or homosexuality is sexual immorality, which it is. But yet then we go home and we log on to computers and we look at pornography, which guess what? It's still sexual immorality. But we call them out for their public sin. We don't recognize our, the sin of our hearts in the darkness when nobody's looking or we think nobody's looking. Jesus said for us that we need to remove the plank from our own eye before we could ever even consider removing the speck from someone else's. We need to sit there and take a long, hard look in the mirror, and we need to hit our knees on a daily basis and beg for God's forgiveness for our sins. We need to align our hearts with Him before we can ever go and confront a brother or a sister. The second type of hypocrisy is hypocrisy towards ourselves. This is what happens when our, our actions don't match our words or when our hearts, they don't match our habits. Essentially, we clean the outside, so we look clean on the outside, but the inside still remains dirty. We look good on the outside, we dress up, we clean up, we put that Jesus Fish bumper sticker or a Together Church bumper sticker on the back of our car. But on the inside, we're still hurting and we're still far from Jesus so when we have a chance to, to, to confront somebody in our workplace about uh, the, the gossip or about some of the things they're saying or doing, we remain silent. We even got the, 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 the scripture verse up in our office right now. and People see that and we think that's sufficient enough, but we don't confront sin when we see it. 
We think that uh, we see this at one point where the Apostle Peter, so in, in Acts chapter 10, the Apostle Peter is given a vision from God. And he's, he gets this vision is of a blanket coming down from heaven. And on this blanket, uh, there's fish and there's reptiles and there's birds and there's other beasts. And God tells him in his vision to rise and kill and eat. Well, Peter, as, as a good Jew, says, by, by no means, God, will I do this. These animals are unclean. And God responds in this way, and he says that what he has made is clean. And so Peter knows, and you and I know, that he's not just talking about the animals and the fish and the reptiles, that he's also talking about the Gentiles. He's talking about the Gentiles. These are anybody who's not Jewish. So basically every single person in this room this morning, we are not unclean either. We are now a part of his kingdom. We can be grafted in to the vine. And so this would have been an amazing thought for a Jewish person who always looked at Gentiles as essentially the, 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 something that would stoke the fires of hell. The Gentiles were just there kind of as a, as a useful implement uh, to meet whatever the Jewish needs were. But now God has flipped that upside down and he said, no, 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 no. They are just like you, Peter. So later on in, in Galatians chapter 2, uh, Peter is now, he's like, man, this is pretty cool. So he's hanging out with the Gentiles, and he's eating with the Gentiles, and he's fellowshipping with Gentiles, and he's spending time in their homes, which would have been a no-no. That would have been uh, just a, one of a, uh, the worst things that you could do is hang out with the Gentiles. And he's, having, he's just living out exactly what God had told him to do. But at one point, some of his fellow Jews come into town, and Peter removes himself. It pretends like he never did anything. I, I didn't hang out with those guys. I wasn't hanging out with those guys. Not the to, not to Gentiles. They're dirty, man. The Apostle Paul actually comes, he goes and he confronts Peter and he says, whoa, Peter. And he calls him out because of his, his hypocrisy. And he says, listen, not only are you being, uh, being a hypocrite towards your own values and stuff that you know God showed you specifically in a vision, but now you're also leading other people away from the mission to take the gospel to the Gentiles as well. If we're just cleaning on the outside and we're putting on these false pretenses, we will always be hypocritical towards ourselves. We'll always fall short of our own standard. The third type of hypocrisy that we see is hypocrisy towards God. This is when we, we say all the right things, we do all the right things, but our heart is far from Him. If your heart is not aligned with God, your actions will have a hard time keeping up as well. And what do we know is that sometimes we, we want to play this game of Christian. You play the game of Christian, that is not a sustainable game long term. Because eventually the trials will come. Eventually something's going to happen. If you're just playing the game, you're going to fall away. We can Sometimes we read our Bible and we think that, that uh, I would have never been a Pharisee or I would have never have been a uh, Sadducee or one of the ones that, that persecuted Jesus. I would have never been in the crowd crying out to crucify Jesus. That would not have been me. I would have been with his disciples. And that's a, that's a nice thought, but I think it's far from us being honest with ourselves if we look at it. Because what happens is after, after Jesus' ascension into heaven, he says, go and I will send a helper, but wait until the helper arrives. And so they go back and they're hiding out in a room. And in this upper chamber, there's only 120. There's just 120 left. So think about this, at one point he fed 4,000 people and then he fed 5,000 people. He's doing miracles and he's healing people all over Israel. And after a three, three and a half year ministry, there's 120 people left. So we think that we would be in that room with him? It's unlikely. It's unlikely. 
our hypocrisy towards God, it only ends when we recognize that it's only by His grace alone that He has drawn us into His kingdom. And we must align our hearts vertically with Him on a daily basis. Recently, I had a friend, uh, this is about two months ago, I invited to come to church one morning. I was going to preach, and, and I said, man, I'd love for you to come. He's, he's not a believer, and I, and I figured maybe he would just come at least ha- see me preach and maybe come up with a couple jokes to say about me later on. But uh, he said, no, you know, I, I just, uh, I'd love to, but I feel like I went to church. If I went to church as a non-believer, then I would be a hypocrite. And I, I told him, I said, well, at Restoration Community Church, you'd fit right in because we're just a bunch of hypocrites and sinners. Now, it's different here at Together Church where there's a bunch of saints. Can I get an amen, right? <laughs> he probably wouldn't fit in here. So, hey, listen, we'll bring him down to restoration. But, but uh, I think why, I want to ask you, what, where does our hypocrisy stem from? Where does it come from? What, why are we hypocrites? I believe at the root of our hypocrisy is our pride. It causes so much hurt in our lives. The pride that, that separates us, that, that makes us feel we're condemned when we sin. Like we feel like there's nothing that we can do. And so we begin to deflect onto God and to others. We cast judgment onto other people, really to just to make ourselves feel better. Like we're not alone in this struggle. And we pretend to be perfect almost as a coping mechanism when we're far from perfect. We think we have to put on this act before our fellow believers. Sometimes churchgoers are the worst, man. We judge people hard. So we got to put on this act to be able to come in here. Or we think we have to put on the act before God that, that we can do enough good things to cover up for the, for the bad things that we have done and so we'll, we'll be good enough to get into heaven. Or we feel fake. We put on our fake selves because we feel condemned by God and man. But we learned last week in Romans 8.1 that Paul tells us there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Zero, none, none. And since there is no condemnation, it is time for us to stop trying to be pretending and trying to be something we are not. It is time for us to stop being fake. To begin living our new lives in the light of our new identity, which is in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. As Christ followers, we have a new identity. We have a new identity, a new name. We are no longer slaves to sin. We've been adopted into the family. We are no longer slaves to sin. We have been grafted into the vine. God has reconciled us to him. Our new identity means that we have the same relationship with God that Jesus does. We are his children now. We are his heirs. And we get to call him Abba, Father. And he calls us son or daughter. Our identity is not our sin. Our name is not our sin. We are not adulterers and murderers and thieves and homosexuals and drunks. Those are the names that Satan gives us. God calls us son and daughter. And we don't have to fear his judgment either. We get to come to him as a good father and ask of him what we need. We can be eternally confident that God will never let us slide through his grasp. 
Our identity is in Jesus Christ, which means that we are no longer citizens of this world. We are now citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And because our identity is in Christ, that we recognize that, that our, our enemy is not our neighbor. Our enemy is not the culture. Our enemy is not other people. Our enemy is Satan and the demonic spiritual forces that we see in this world. So then as this, as believers with our identities firmly rooted in Jesus Christ, we should no longer feel that we need to be inauthentic or fake. That we need to put on this, this false front in order to be accepted. We no longer need to be hypocrites to keep people from seeing the real us. You see, we worship a real God who took on real flesh, who was hung on a real cross, who died a real death so that you and I can have a real life with him for eternity in our real identity. Once we recognize that, we don't have to be fake anymore. We will find true freedom in Christ. We'll find true freedom. So how do we live this life that's not fake? How do we live this authentic life in our new identities? It all starts with the gospel. You see, the gospel is both a, a mirror through which we can view ourselves on a daily basis and see our own sin and our own depravity, but recognize that God is a good and gracious and loving God. And as he convicts us of these sins, we humbly beg him for forgiveness and we repent of that sin. And the gospel is also a window through which we look at the rest of the world or a lens through which we view the rest of the world and our other people that are around us as we view them as, as, as not, not people that are enemies, but as people made in the image of Jesus Christ. They are his image bearers just like you and I are, and they are in much a need of Savior as you and I are. So one of the first steps that we can do is we can recognize that, that we are not perfect and that no one around us is either. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's exactly 100% of the world. That's you. That's your spouse. That's your neighbor that finished your Christmas shopping and thanks, uh, around Thanksgiving and had their lights up before December. They're not perfect either, y'all. They're sinners too. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. And once we come to that realization, we will no longer have to feel like we have to put on this fig leaf to hide behind, to hide our imperfections and our flaws, and we can begin to be real. The second thing we can do is we can confess our sins and we can pray for each other. James chapter 5, 13 through 16 says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Jesus' brother, James, here gives us a very sound and wise advice that we need to go and we need to confess our sins to one another. If you want to start living a real life in pursuit of a real God that came on a real rescue mission to save us, start confessing your sins to one another. 
Go find somebody that you trust. You know, confession is, is saying the same thing that God says about sin. It's just recognizing that it's wrong. It involves seeing the sin for what it truly is, acknowledging the offense that we have committed towards God. And it includes an attitude to turn away from the sin as well. James, he encourages us to, to seek a, a faithful person that we can go and confess to and confide in. Somebody who can intercede for us in their prayer while we are battling that sin. Essentially, we're, we're looking for somebody who can hold us accountable while we're battling this sin. We should allow them the, the privilege to speak this truth, but in love into our lives. And when they do confront us, we should receive it humbly. And so it is from our brother and our sister. Confessing sins to one another in the body of Christ, it has the power to break sin, and especially our secret sin that we don't think anybody knows about that continues to cause cracks and fissures in the foundation that is our life. We also should find somebody that we can use uh, and confess in discretion. Meaning, find somebody that you trust to be a confidant that you can confess to. Meaning, some of y'all need to confess to being gossips and sharing other people's business, right? I'm going to flee from that too. So when we hide our sin and pretend it doesn't exist, we put on this false identity, don't we? And when we stand as hypocrites before God and before man, you know, hiding our sin, it keeps us in isolation because we feel like we're not good enough. I'm not good enough yet to go to church or I'm not good enough yet to join a group or I'm not good enough yet to read the Bible. I need to get good first. That's a lie from Satan. That's not true. Confessing our sins to one another, it cultivates this honesty and this purity and this genuineness that is both godly and it is extremely attractive, especially to the non-believers in this world who are just looking for something real. They're just looking for something authentic. A great place for us to be able to start this confession and this accountability is, is within a life group or a D group. If you're not in a life group or a D group yet, I would highly encourage you to sign up for one soon. It's within these groups that, that we are able to confess. We are able to hold each other accountable. We are able to pray for one another. We are able to grow spiritually mature. We are able to do life together. And when we share these experiences that we have with Christ, we continue to grow and become a real follower. And finally, if we're going to claim our new identity and, and, and reject our old lives, we need to renew our minds on a daily basis. Romans 12, 1 through 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We do this when we, when we open God's Word on a daily basis. We, we do this when we, when we stop and we pray and thank Him with a, with a heart posture of gratitude for all the mercies and the blessings He has given us. We do this when we stop and, and we look at God's creation and we just recognize and we stand in awe before what He has done for us. We do this when we, when we start to, to reject the lies of this world, and we start being real. So this Christmas season, I want us to, to remember that we worship a real God 
that loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to pay the ultimate price for us, to atone for our sins through the blood that he shed on that cross. And as a result of that rescue mission he sent his son on, that you and I can be saved and we are rescued from these false identities that we think we need to carry. Now, I want to ask you this, what will you do with your new identity in Jesus Christ? What will you do with that new identity? I think there's some people here this morning that, that you've been a believer for a while. You've been, you've been playing the game of Christian, but there's things in your life that are just holding you down. There's things in this life that keep holding you back from pursuing God in a way that would show true obedience. So maybe this morning what you need to do is you need to go find that brother or you need to go find that sister and you need to tell them what's been going on in your life. And as instead of the, the standard expected response about, I'm great, man, fine, you know, great and, and, and highly favored, you need to be real. And tell them you're struggling. Tell them about that sin that you have been carrying in your life. Maybe that's what you need to do this morning. And if there's some people in the room this morning that, uh, that you're not a believer, you're in the right spot. You may have even been in that 86% of people who thought that we were hypocrites. Well, congratulations, you're right. We are. We're just sinners in need of a Savior. And as you wrestle through these questions about what, what God is and what this Christianity is all about, you're in the right place. There's people willing to, to wrestle through those questions with you. There's people willing to, to tell you what it looks like to, to follow Jesus Christ and deny yourself on a daily basis. There's people here that are ready to be real with you today. So as we play out through our last song and our time of response, I'd ask for you just to, to pray there in your seat. You can come down front. We have communion set up. Find a brother, find a sister. Take this next few moments as you respond to what God is doing in your heart right now.